You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. So listen, the title of my message is Family Feud More Than a Game Show. We're in our family-ish, and uh, I, I think sometimes, it was, it was funny, I was telling my wife, I said, I got two words, family matters or family feud. It's more than a game show. This morning, Charles Neiman preached, family matters. Guess that gave me mine, family feud. <laughs> but real talk is this, is, is just so you understand where I'm coming from is, man, we get to do church. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, like. We get, we get to do this as a family. And, and when we have the revelation of what God's trying to do in us and through us for a community, as a tribe, taking a city, taking a state, we, we gotta start with us and we gotta start with our family. And I think it's so interesting that sometimes we, who knows why, but I read this Barna Group study and three reasons why people come to church. You wanna hear them? Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Number, number three, personal hunger. Now, I don't, don't get saying, you know, they woke up hungry. No, no, no. Spiritually, they knew they're, they're looking for something. But you got to understand, they're looking for something. They might not ever make it to church. They can make it to any church because they're personally hungry because we are spiritual beings looking for a spiritual answer. We are missing a God-shaped puzzle piece, and nothing will fill that void except Jesus. But they'll go try different pieces, and it's our responsibility to help them be the, I always, I had this image when I was a little kid of a dark room. And if I live in that house, I know how to navigate that room in the dark. How many of you with me? Well, if, if you've been having power outages, you should know. You're either really good or, you're, or your shins are bruised up. But you know, you gotta know how to navigate this thing. And when you're good at it, you can do it in the dark. Now our job is to go find people in the dark, grab their hand because they can't see. We've navigated because we're already across the line. Your job is just to put their hand on the door not convince them to open it. Because if you're the one shoving it down their throat, then really you open the door and maybe kick them through. <laughs> That's not our job. Our job is to take them through the darkness to the door and say, now I've empowered you, crack the door. And when they crack it, the light comes in their life. That's, that's our job. We're, we're doorknob finders, really, in a dark world, and we're helping navigate navigate people so they don't have to trip, fall, everything. But what's amazing to me is so many Christians want the part of the Bible that they like or whatever makes sense to them because they don't want to stretch their belief that fast. They're good with coming to church because it feels good. They're good to sit back and listen to worship because it feels good. Man, raising your hand when John Day's telling me to raise my hand, he's getting a little aggressive there. (laughs) Raise your hands now. You know, it's like, but what I'm saying is he's already on the other side of what that means. Like, he you know, he's a, so he's so passionate about it, he wants you to do it. You know, we can, we can get so passionate about where we were. You know, you were sleeping with your girlfriend last week and you got saved and now you're not. But like, now you're telling your buddies, dude, what are you doing? Bro, I can't believe you're doing that. That's so dumb. <laughs> the guy's like, dude, two weeks ago, before you went to that church, you were doing the same thing. So real talk is like, what can we do to be a light in a world without being that judgmental Christian that everyone's warning about? See, I, I'm in this position because I just want to love people. God told me, like, God, don't be putting me in that church thinks it's easy. Love me, love people. Yeah. 
But it's amazing, like you can suddenly get on that pastoral role, you start getting a little bit like, oh yeah, what are they doing? Like you can get that judgmental thing. The devil's like, yeah, there you go. There you go. Come on. Yeah, you should judge him. Look at him. Such sinners. Such sinners. And then you're like, yeah. And you think it's like the Holy Spirit. No, that's the devil. My grace is sufficient, says the Lord. And, and it's amazing. We lose grace the minute we're over that line. And, and it's like the more we're over that line, it's the more we lose it. And that grace line's there, and we keep going this way, and the tension between our friends of the world keep getting tighter and tighter until a rubber band snaps. And then what kind of voice do we have in their life? I don't even know this isn't in my notes, but this is for somebody, because I want to be a part of a church that is a reflection of my pastor who loves people. Like every barista in San Diego. I just go anywhere, yeah, I go to see through Pastor Jurgen. And it's like, and everybody else will just taint that, you know? And I don't want to be part of the tainting of the, the world that looks at Christians. Because if we all had some love for people, we're not Holy Spirit Junior. Our, our job is to get him introduced and let him start doing the work. We're just supposed to love him up. So I was reading this thing. So the Barna Group said the three reasons why people come to church, personal hunger, number three. They just had a revelation they're out searching. They might not find this church, but they're finding something. Number two is crisis. Like, they're at the end of their rope. It's a crisis. And number one, someone with influence in their circle invited them. So really, be honest with yourself. Go back, no matter how long you've been going to church, who was someone, what was it? Was it crisis? Was it you were just looking? You actually were at Pizza Port, you had gas, you thought maybe it was from the church, I'll go over and see what it, whatever it was. Or... Was it a personal invite? How many were personal invites? Raise your hand. I just want to see. Look around. Look around at the personal invites. And that could mean, they said, it's some anyone that is you look up to that has influence. So it could be a family member. It could be a work colleague. It could be your neighbor. Someone that you just looked up to, you liked something about them, so you said yes to the invitation, maybe to Twisted, whatever it is. I thought it was interesting. So we got to remember, if people aren't here, it's because we just haven't invited them. It's just a revelation. We're not trying to shove Jesus down their throat. We're not trying to guilt them, judge them. We're just trying to be the invitation because it says that's the number one reason why people go to church. You are all influencers and you all have a circle and people are watching you. But that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought that was good facts. But... This is really a tool for biblical wisdom in a culture of chaos. I had that line before I heard this morning. And he preached on chaos. And I was like, oh, sugar. I guess the Holy Spirit's doing something. So it was interesting because in Genesis 15, I just want to give you a little perspective. Because I was thinking to myself, I had some family-ish, the series the next six weeks. I already have a sermon prepared two weeks from now. I'm going to preach on Timothy and how Timothy, you know, we all need a Paul, we all need a Timothy, and Timothy was struggling as he was trying to be a pastor in a church. And he was just walking through struggles, and so Paul was trying to get him, like, over the hump. And everything Paul was doing, he was, like, just encouraging him. And I was reading the stuff Timothy was going through, I was like, oh, that's my life. I need to, I need to read this more often. I was like, matter of fact, these are all my friends' life. Oh, my gosh. Tim, bro, we're walking through it. 
I'm going to read this, so I'm going to give you a perspective that Paul wrote on that. But I, I felt like God was telling me, like, no, no, don't put the cart before the horse. This is what you're going to preach on right now to get us ready for that. And this is really having an understanding that if I don't give you the weapons or the arrows of the enemy, we're going to keep taking those arrows from the enemy and thinking we have to tolerate it. And what happens is I see it all the time and I see it in my own life and I, I saw it a lot more, but God gives us wisdom to start having greater discernment how we don't get, keep getting tripped up by the same old tricks of the devil. And I really felt like we need to be empowered as a church to understand the scheming ways of the enemy and how we can start to get some stinking thinking and justify it and think God's gonna bless us anyways. Where he's up there going, come on, come on kids. Come on, watch the people with the fruit that are doing the right way that aren't getting caught up in lowering the bar because culture is so demanding of us. And see, we live in a world where culture is just pumping at us 365. And if we don't have guardrails up, we're gonna be driving that car quick around a bend and fly right off the rails. So I just wanna give you the context of some guardrails tonight, and then I wanna pray for some people. Because really, we can get so caught up and there's no guilt or condemnation you know, it's funny because we can get caught up. Shame is from the devil. We can feel guilty about something, but that's actually from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not trying to guilt trip us. He's just trying to convict us so we get back on true north. Shame is what the enemy wants to do to us and to get us so low that we just sit in our puddle and don't get up. That's not of God. But the more that we can get it, the quicker we just, we put such a big word on repentance. Like when I say sin, everyone's like, oh, I'm just a sinner. Dude, we miss the mark. Like how many miss the mark every day at something? Like honestly, let, like, let's not put so much energy on that word sin. I think it's amazing. We can get so quick to judge. I've been watching every Kanye West video and I love it because he's just like, man, why are all the Christians hating on me? And it was amazing, 10 years ago when he gave his life to Christ, he wrote this song, Jesus Walks. I never heard it, I've been listening, I'm like, dude, that's powerful. No one told him, don't put it in the same album where you're talking about all the hoes and talking about all the other stuff and putting a halfway naked chick on the cover and then throw Jesus in there like it's gonna have the anointing and the blessing. Yeah, I give my love to Jesus, hear my one song. My other songs, there's a big E by it. And that doesn't mean easy. You know, it's like, but no one pastored him. So I'm like, whoa, he was trying, he was jump-started, and the devil came in and put the beat down, twisted, and he never left culture. So he stayed in his culture, never made a line in the sand, and then just kept going on with his life, and then he train wrecked, went crazy, all the stuff. Now, fast forward, he always had the God call in his life, but no one led him through the room to put his hand on the doorknob. And so this time, he has a revelation gets with a small little pastor that he doesn't want anybody to know out of LA at a small little church, been pastoring people with incredible fruit for 60 years. Gets with this guy who he's protecting and he says, now I have a pastor, now I know how to pray and I got delivered. And deliverance is a real thing. He had a massive manifestation, boom, full on deliverance, got filled with baptized in the Holy Ghost and now he doesn't give a rip. And he says, now I have wisdom and he told me, this walk ain't easy. He told me, you better be prayed up every day. The enemy's gonna come kill, steal, and destroy. No one told me that before. Then he said, hey, you can't be doing albums like you used to if you're a new creation in Christ. He goes, I don't want to. 
And in one of the interviews, one of the guys like, well, what about your old music? Are you gonna play it at concerts? And I love his response. He said, why? I just bought an iPhone 11. Would I ever go back to the iPhone 4? It's a new day. It's a new version of who he is. He ain't ever singing that stuff again. If they want to come hear me, if they want that, they can go download an old album. If they want to come hear my new stuff, that's what I'm doing. Concert, I work for God now, and I ain't doing that. I'm not putting pictures of this. I'm not disrespecting women. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to break that cultural norm. To the point, he was on uh, Jimmy Kimmel, and, uh, you know, of course, Jimmy thought he was going to take the, show him how to do it. He's like, no, no, this is what I'm doing. He just straight up starts preaching, telling his testimony, just ignores any of the questions, and then sees the dude over here that won the, won the lottery, says $238 million on this, you know, this African-American guy, and he goes, hey, man, do me a favor. I see you wearing your Gucci. Why don't you think about a legacy? And it's amazing. Go find the unedited version. The one on TV, they cut all this out, but the unedited version, he's saying, listen, that blessing of those finances can set up your family, your family's family, your family's family fluffing, and you're called to be a blessing three generations. What are you going to do with that money? Don't buy Gucci unless it's overflow of the abundance because you've set up a legacy for your family. See, our culture has us caught up. We need the latest Air Jordans. He went off on them, and he says, I I'm not judging you for this, but I used to be that, and I led a lot of people the wrong way. But now God's my boss. He showed me a better way. And you're going to be financially blessed if you know how to use that money and make sure you're giving 10% of it back to your king. I was like, whoa, okay. You don't see that on CNN or anywhere else. But why did I tell you that? Because as Christians, it's easy to judge him for who he was and like, oh, yeah, he'll probably slip and fall. Well, what if all your friends said that about you? Why don't I said, why don't we decide, like, you know, I, I love it. And he goes, yeah, I didn't even know about intercessory prayer. But now that I know about it, see, I'm a billionaire, and now I work for God. I need some intercessors. Where's all my brothers and sisters that will intercede for me, that will keep me on the track of wisdom, that will help me doing the right thing so I don't get caught back up into the culture, which is so persuasive. And he goes, listen, I can't make my African-American family happy. I can't make the Christians happy. I can't make the political people happy. I'm just hosed all the way. That's why I work for him. And I just don't give it. I just pray for peace every day. So I'm thinking to myself, what a revelation. We need to be praying for him because he's an influencer. He's an influencer. Lamar Odom just gave his life to Christ two days ago and said that God responded to him. Something's going on in the air. And then if you didn't know, Kevin Hart, if you didn't see his thing, he knows as he was going off the cliff, God put a hedge of protection around him. And he said, slow down, my son. I'm going to preserve your life. And now he's just saying, my next comedy show is going to be completely different. I'm going to be saying and giving honor to the king that put me on a planet with a mission. And he goes, I, was, I wasn't slowing down. I was about to sign this tour and leave my family for three months. And he goes, but God saved me, and now I'm on a mission. So if you don't think something's going on, go back and listen to a prophetic word by Rex Crane a few months ago that said that he was going to, it was something where he was going to confound those confound the wise. And he was going to have a move of God in and through Hollywood that was going to come from the inside out and birth a revival in a city that was the darkest city. But we're always one step away from misstepping ourselves. So let's not get so caught up in that word sin. Let's just learn how, like, how fast can we repent? Boom. I just want to repent right now. Like, take every thought captive. But when you make sin such a big deal, I miss the mark, then you'll make repentance an even bigger deal. And it's like saying, I'm sorry. Some people it's easy. Some people it's like, they can't say it. But if we can just get in the habit of like, man, I missed the mark. God, just, hey, 
set me back up on the right way. He can keep setting you up until it gets easier and easier and easier. I'm so proud of Rachel because honestly, two years ago, when we came up to this campus, I, and you can speak for yourself, but I don't think you'd ever let your laundry out like that. But to me, the place of your healthiness is that you'll get up and do a communion message on the side of victory and let everybody know that's called family-ish. And what the devil does is, Christianese, Christianese, I'm perfect, thanks pastor, my life's great, and it repelled me from the kingdom. It still repels me. Negativity and fake Christians drive me nuts. So like some can't handle me because it's just wearing it right here wearing it right here. And then when I call him out, I'm not meaning to call him out. It's like, do it in love. Yeah. I was like, yeah, man, I just, yeah, that was kind of dumb. What, what, uh, uh, you're my pastor. You just saw me do something dumb. I was like, bro, I did dumb yesterday, the night before. Usually the only person that sees it's my wife. But she just prays for me. So it's just like, we just need to be praying for each other. So in Genesis, I'm giving you this thing because go read it for yourself. Abram receives a covenant by God. It's right here. This is what I love. Abraham, in, in, four, in, in chapter 14, Abraham and Melchizedek. Just to let you know, he goes through this whole thing. He honored Melchizedek. Abraham, Abram's already a baller. Yeah. He, he's already financially blessed. He's like, I'm the man. Okay, the only thing he doesn't have a blessing is he has no kids. He has no offspring. He has no, no son to bear his name. So then what happens is he gets a covenant. God gives him a promise. Say, you're going to be exalted father. And talks about what is going to happen. He prophesies you're going to have kids. So this is where I want you to understand, because just a chapter later, his wife starts getting in the mix and starts giving him, how many you know, some bad advice. Yeah, yeah just take our maidservant. That'd be equivalent, like, uh, take our house cleaner. It's what the Bible says. Don't get all weird. So then he goes, she's like, the wife is like, yeah, you know what? We don't have a name. It's probably me. It's probably you. Who knows what? But you know what? Wisdom. If God doesn't want it, I'm sure he'll stop it. Go ahead and sleep at the house cleaner. Okay? So he has a son, Ishmael, by his maidservant. So if you start, you start thinking about this whole thing, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I would need wisdom. I don't want any advice, even if my wife said that. Let's just know how many know that's not a good idea. Okay, so I'm like, God, what do you think? He goes, well, think about Solomon. Just make sure you're in Proverbs. I'm like, why, why would he tell me that? And he goes, because he had a thousand wives and concubines. And then he wrote this verse. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in the house shared with contentious women. How many know he had a thousand problems? I'm just handling one, okay? Not a problem, not a problem. Yep, I'll be on the house tonight. She's gonna be like, get up and show me which corner you like. <laughs> but I'm loving it, like, let's just listen to the dude that went there a thousand times in his life. All right, we're, hopefully we're only doing this thing once. Can you order some flowers, somebody? <laughs> but I love it because it's God's way versus cultural pressures. And what I want you to understand is Abram fell into cultural pressure regarding family and violated God's principles. His sin is still wreaking havoc today, if you didn't know that. Thousands of years later, this is where the, the, the descendants of Ishmael are the Arabs, and the descendants of Isaac are the Jewish family. 
So the Jews and the Arabs still in battle today because of one decision that he decided to do it his way, not God's way, because he was going to press in because he knew God gave him a promise. So he figured, all right, I know I'm promised, so this must be God's way, but he didn't wait for discernment. What I find it interesting, he got cold up. You're asking, what are the pressures? Well, his name meant father, exalted father, and he wasn't. His namesake back in the day was everything because the namesake, your last name, your namesake of your son that would carry on your last name meant prosperous and blessing. So if you couldn't bear a son, that must mean oh, that God didn't have blessing and you weren't gonna be prosperous and your generation stops with you, your namesake. So it was everything. So he was trying to circumvent it. You can go on and read all about it in verse one, Genesis 16, one through six. And I think it's really important because here's another thing I wanna tell you. I'll just read this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord is restraining me from bearing children. Please go. How many know that's an offset mindset? Yeah. Right there, she's already off, skewed. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram. And said to his wife, after Abram dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So, went in, so he went into Hagar, they conceived, there was a son, it was Ishmael. And what happened was, then Abram, stayed passive. He was essentially married now to Hagar, but he didn't protect her. And so Sarai abused her and ran her off. And so then God was super ticked, because fine, if you're gonna do it your way, why don't you show some honor, some respect? You're doing it your own way, but now you're allowing your wife because you're passive, not standing in your role, and it keeps getting worse for him. And then you can go on reading. Uh, it goes from how do you have a promise in one chapter, and then the next one, you totally screw it up. It's because that's how intense cultural pressure was during the time. He started making bad decisions because of that cultural pressure. We can do it today, and I'm going to talk about it. See, the revelation is, A, our way over God's way for results. See, they had the right intention, but the wrong methods. Yeah. Do you guys get that? Yeah. Like, you got to understand is the right motives are not enough. They had pure motives, but we need right methods. So I'm gonna give you some methods today because I know you all are here for a reason because your heart's right. Yeah. Your hearts are right even though you may not understand it. So you're doing things your way through to your understanding, your belief system, your upbringing, but that's not the right methods that God's trying to teach us. And some, you know, like no one honestly loves getting crushed by your trainer in a gym. Okay, but how many know we have a trainer so he can give me the right methods? I have the right intentions. I went into my gym in my garage with my, you know, my fat burner cocktail, and I'm sitting there going on, and then I laid down on the floor with my phone to look for a workout, and I started scrolling. <laughs> 20 minutes later, I felt, I'm like, that felt good. Felt good. I get a couple reps in. I do some tries, a couple rows, a couple benches. I'm like, yeah, bro. That's a bead of sweat. <laughs> How many know I had the right intentions when I woke up at five to go into my gym? Yeah. How many know I got dressed, put on my shoes, I had the right intentions, I laid down, I got a couple reps in. How many know that wasn't the right methods to get me ripped up like Johnny Hammer the Hendrix? Yeah. Johnny, if you're listening to this, just a shout out, you really inspire me. <laughs> That's just for the uh, podcast later. But I say that because I can have all the right heart space, mindset, got up, but I applied the wrong methods. Hence, I have a trainer. 
So what happens is we really got to understand this. Be, greatest temptations often come from those that are closest to us. Your spouse, your family, your friend. You know, I love my wife, but when she's trying to hand me a glass of wine when I'm on a 40-day cleanse, it's like, Lord, take this from me. She has the right intentions. She just wants to connect and everything. But how many know it's like, man, I, I'm sticking to this thing. I got to do whatever it takes. You know, and, and Sarah had the right intention. She just wanted him to bear his son so bad because she loved him, but they were doing it the wrong way, not God's way. And we can get caught up into that. So he had a word from God, persuaded in chapter 16 by his wife, doesn't step up. He gets passive, doesn't own it. He lets Sarai then get bitter and then runs off Hagar. And then God stopped talking to Abram. For 13 years, he didn't hear God's voice. And here Abraham is the father of faith. Yet he didn't hear from, we're, we're, I'm worried if I don't hear from God in a week. Yeah. 13 years. How many know that I couldn't go that long? A lot of things got train wrecked in that way. But all the way from chapter 16, verse 16, all the way to 17:1, God stopped speaking to Abram. So our mentality becomes, because we're pragmatic, pragmatic Americans, our mentality says, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and blank action. And if it's not good, God will stop me you know he will or he can, and then I'll obey. So I'm gonna move in with my girlfriend. I really got a piece about it. <laughs> That's my favorite line. Oh, it's like, yeah, I was just, you know, I'm, I'm gonna marry this non-Christian because I prayed about it and I feel a peace about it. It's my second favorite line. So Let me help you. You don't have to pray about it because it says in Second Corinthians, all through the Bible, it talks about being equally yoked. So I love it because I had to ask somebody just recently, I'm like, so what you're asking God to do is lower his holy standard for you because you had peace about it. Listen, I'm not trying to bust anybody. I'm just trying to say, man, it's going to save a lot of heartache, headaches, and there's some repercussions. You don't have to pray about it. It already says it. This is like the instruction manual. But what happens is we'll take out that one line and like, oh, that next line? No, I don't like that one. Let me pray about it. <laughs> yep, yep. I definitely got a piece about that. Baby, we're going to move in. And then they dropped me the wisdom because now, now you know, Abram was justifying it. The wisdom is like, well, we're saving money. I mean, they're giving me the long stuff. It's all rationalized. But I'm saying we don't want to be the judgmental Christian. We're just trying to give wisdom so they can live under blessing. Because if we're under blessing, guess what? Man, we'll want to be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But when we're not under blessing, we're like, yeah, I go to church on Sunday. <laughs> and it's not being judgmental. I just want to help people live their best life. Yeah, not the one that they thought they were going to. And Mike Connell messed me up. He was just like, is heaven behind you on that or not? So I started looking at everything in my life. Is heaven behind me on this? Is heaven behind me on that? No, no, I'm not supposed to go into politics. Heaven's not behind me. But I never prayed about it. I just figured all these doors were opening. I was good. But how many know the enemy's got a lure? And he's luring me down this path. I was justifying it. But guess what? It was sacrificing my family. It's interesting to think about that. So just some of the things that culture gives us pressure on is the moving in together thing, which I just talked about, illicit sex. Like it's fun, frivolity, gentlemen's clubs, porn. I love this one. I had a you know, nice couple that just saying, yeah, we're Christian. We just thought if we watch it, you know, I might spice it up in the bedroom. 
I'm like, okay, so you're living in fantasy land. Let me tell you where that's going to get you. But it's all the stuff that's enticing. We can rationalize and just, but this is real stuff. Starts off with looking at a play, a maxim. Then it goes to a playboy and we'll justify that whole thing. But then we get ensnared in these fantasy worlds and it's culture. We can say, well, I won't do that. But well, do you watch TMZ? Do you read a people's magazine? Do you read all the drama to get you wrapped up in everybody else's drama? What are Luke and Bo Hope doing? You know, oh my gosh, it's Friday. I got to wait till Monday to see what days of our lives are doing. Trust me, my mom was on the edge of her seat. I grew up in eighth grade going, mom, what happened to Bo? Is Patch's brother? Are they dating the same thing? What's going on, mom? Like I, w- I was waiting. I'd be coming home at 3 p.m. On, on Monday from school. Mom, what happened to days of our lives? Matt, you wouldn't believe it. It got crazy today. I'm like, did? Man, we are ensnared up in it, living in this fantasy world. My dad comes home from work and I'm like, she's bringing days of our lives into our house and then living the drama. But no one ever said, gave them wisdom. Like, why are you living that soap opera life? Oh, you're like, well, that, I don't do that. Well, good. What, what about marriage, the commitment versus, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to commit. All my mentors are saying, oh, ball and chain. You know, it's my last outing. When I hear that, I'm like, bro, it's the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift that God gave me a helpmate. I was a mess on legs and God brought me someone with wisdom. Show me what to do with my craziness. Raining me down. It's the greatest thing. It's not a ball and chain. Well, it's not what my friends say. Well, guess what? They don't go to this church because I've watched all these young couples get married. I've watched them thriving. I've watched blessing and provision. It's about who you're hanging out with to define what marriage could and should look like. But you're hanging out with people in the world, that cultural pressure, that's what it looks like to them because that's all they know. But it can look so much different. I love it. We're, this, is, this is one thing that came up, dual income. So you're sacrificing family because of the dual income because you want to get ahead. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying if a core values family and we wonder why our kids are going off the rails later, was it worth it to get and become a workaholic? I challenge this every day. I'm passionate about my work. I'm passionate about church. Hours everywhere. It's like, but am I going to sacrifice my kids? No. I'd rather be living in an RV down by the beach with my kids than living in this big thing, barely being able to pay for it and have to put my wife to work and have her do all these things, but we're barely getting by, sacrificing my family unit because we're trying to make the mammon. It's not worth it. Are you, uh, this is one thing I'm gonna give you real life, is that when I got married, I'm a mama's boy. My mom was up in everything. First got married, I'll never forget, she came to stay with us next day. I know I feel her rubbing my back at 6 a.m. <laughs> thinking to myself, and my first thought was, oh yeah, the good old days. My mom, I grew up with my mama coming in, just rubbed my back in the morning before school. Here I am married now. And my wife's on the other side of the bed going, what the? Gail, what are you doing? And my mom's like, well, my whole family does it. And then I'm like, yeah, our whole family does it. Like, what's your problem? Like, get used to it. Like, mom's coming down, I'm getting a back rub. But guess what? I had to learn biblically. Biblically it says, oh wait, oh, I'm sorry. In Genesis, in the very beginning, it says, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Not with a sidekick rubbing your back in the morning. So I, I get with people with couples, and they'll be at, you, you get, you'll get mom on one side, the husband, and the wife on the other. And they'll be all looking at each other. And I love it because I had this with Pastor Charles Neiman. We were talking about a lunch. I was like, is this show for you? He goes, oh, oh, especially in his Hispanic culture. I was thinking, why well, was this? And, and, the, and the truth is, if my wife books something on October 21st and my mom booked something on October 21st, guess what my mom would say? I gave birth to you. I put you through college. I led the way for you. I was your way maker. And my wife's like, that's our anniversary, Gail. And my wife was like, yeah, but you wouldn't have an anniversary if I didn't give birth to him. So it's like the Holy Spirit, guess what? In your mind, you think it's funny, but in my mind, I'm sweating. Going, man, I'm, I don't want to dishonor my mom. It says honor your mom and dad. No, no, it says leave and cleave to your wife. But it's a number one cultural pressure and it's a real thing that I had to put my mama and some boundaries up in there to let her know her place. That doesn't mean I love you less, but she took it that way. How many know my mom got offended? There was some night, there was some prayer, there was saying, but we're on the other side of it now, kind of. But you know what I'm saying. But you have to know these are real cultural pressures that if I'm not honoring my wife, she's the most important thing. Even though I love my mama, we got to put our wives first. So just a couple things that I want to land the plane on. I want to give you solutions for winning really quickly. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, James 4, 7. I have a whole sheet. I'm just going to give you, it says three little ABCs. Jesus helped me. That means remind me. How many know you need your reminding verses? Because how quick can we forget? because we're in a world that's go, 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 go. So you need your Jesus help me verses, which is just remind me. So it's like, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy, Matthew 5, 7, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. These are my reminders in marriage. Just little things that I, I write down. I have Jesus help me ones in marriage, just giving you like what I do. And then I have, I need advice. Philippians 4.8 is my advice to me. You've got to find your own. Finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, I'll meditate on these things. That's my advice to myself. I have my advice verse. Proverbs 21.23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Anybody else need that one besides me? I used to pipe off and I had a lot of big friends, but how many know a couple times I didn't have my big friends next to me? This is why I pray this one. Second Corinthians 13, five, examine yourself as to whether you are in faith, test yourself. How do you know unless you test yourself? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? I test myself. Why aren't we testing everything? That's advice. And the last one, I always have my God's got me. God's got me. These are like, I need to pray for blessing. 
Proverbs 20, 22, after I lost my money, I said over and over, do not say I will repay evil with evil. I'm gonna wait on you, Lord, because I know you will save me. There's some things where we can get ticked off, but I'm telling you, we just gotta know that God's got you. And I'm like, God's got me, Vorce. I prophesy, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I wanna put the goodness out there. Love people, love God. These are, these are my things that I do, and I have a list of them for myself, many of them. I have them for marriage, I have them for business, I have them for leadership, I have them for being a good boss. I have the ones that says, Jesus help me, advice, and then God's got me. So it's just practical, I wanna give you practical. Last couple practical things, because I don't want you to miss this. Every king needs a priest. This is your church family. We need to know, like, why are we making big business deals without getting prayer from someone that has the fruit to be praying for you over that? Why are we just going? The devil wants you to make that decision. But let me tell you, there's, there's people that don't even go to church, don't even believe in Jesus, that are billionaires, but they're getting vice. But I see more Christians just going, yeah, I prayed about it. Well, did you roll that off anybody else with good fruit? Let's get some wisdom. Number two, saturate in the word because the word will give you wisdom. Saturate, know what the word says about certain things. Get with somebody else, do a word study, do a Bible study. Pastor Charles Neiman was telling me during lunch, he's just like, man, if you can learn the word in every decision, get around those feet, do a word study, see what it means. Let God give revelation to you. It's alive and powerful. Number three, prayer. Why do you think we hold prayer meetings that I don't miss? Man, 5.30, man, I know it's early, but it's worth it, I promise. Get to prayer, that because that brings up your warrior. We need wisdom, but we also need to be a warrior. And then accountability partners, those are mentors. Like when you do sin, are you letting someone know, or are you just wallowing in it? Because shame, you'll, you'll take yourself out, but we all need just to confess that sin to one another so we can get victory. Practical, making values-based decision-making. Someone wants to know, why weren't you at the wealth creators thing? Why weren't you at the wealth creators thing? Listen, I was asked to speak at it. You think it pained me not to be there? How many know that I love all that Pathfinder stuff, all that wealth creation stuff? But you know what my number one core value is? Family. It was my daughter's little birthday on Saturday. We had family pictures Saturday morning. We had all these things. Do you think that was easy for me? But no, I don't base my decisions on how I feel. I have core values and families first. So I woke up, it was an easy decision. Now, did everyone understand it? No but I don't give a rip. I'm not here to make them understand my core values. So it's not worth it for me to get in an argument with my wife. It's not worth it for me to sacrifice my daughter. It was like easy for me, no emotion. Did I miss out? I'll get the media card. I know it was awesome, but my family is my core value. But sometimes we'll say one thing and live another. We're living incongruent and the devil gets in and creates a wedge. Let's live congruent. Coffee breaks and date nights other things that we can do for our marriage. Ma'am, when we don't do our coffee break, my wife and I, I can feel the tension. Date nights, we don't miss date nights. People don't even call me anymore on Thursday nights because just they know. These are strategies to help you with the roadmap. If you could throw up the family placemat, I'm just gonna touch on it for a second. You could see this stuff, but it's just stuff that I want my kids to really understand and I have a whole thing, but I love it. The family dinner. I know, bring back the beer. Don't talk about it, but this is it. This is our dinner stuff. What did you do to help someone this week? We ask our kids. What was the most exciting thing that happened to you? What did you make the world a better place today? What did you do? 
What was your biggest challenge and opportunity? And we go over the, you know, whether my daughter will pick, she loves talking about our family core values. Dad, what's self-leadership? Dad, what's giving mean? What are Ben Franklin's 13 virtues? I've just given you the tools, whatever it takes. Because if you don't set the intention and the tone for your family, the enemy will. Or we just wake up and we base our life on what's going on in our life. So I just want to tell you, those are some of the strategies, some of the tools, some of the things. And as I just pray for you tonight, I want you to understand Abraham, who is the father of faith. God redeemed him, gave him a ton of descendants, blessed him, multiplied him, provided. I mean, there's a 13-year gap in there, but how many know he got redeemed and restored? We got to just understand that even professional coaching or going to counseling is worth it if your marriage is important. Why would you walk down the aisle with the bride of your life and then think, oh, I'm above counseling? Really? How's that working out for you, as Pastor Charles Neiman would say? We have to redefine culture, how we think about dating, how we think about virginity, how we think about Halloween, not getting religious. My kids went trick-or-treating, but then we had a negotiation. I turned it into a business deal. I put candy sheets together. I showed them nasty teeth, and I said, you want summer teeth, or do you want negotiation of toys? They all pick toys. And then I just negotiate per candy per toy. And then if I have to buy the rest, I'm gonna give it to them with a provision that they're gonna give it all away to bless somebody else. So they have this like high integrity value around Halloween candy because they definitely want to stay away from nasty summer teeth. Some are straight, some are gone, some are missing, some are there, some are not. Those are summer teeth. So we just reframed the candy thing. You can reframe marriage. You can reframe the V card. You can reframe your life being a Christian. You can reframe it. Some people think, oh, it's a buzzkill to be a Christian. Does my life look like it's a buzzkill? I live an epic life. I'll reframe what people think about Christianity. They can come to my house. Let's reframe how we're living, but get around people that are willing to do it. Listen, I love reading about it because all throughout the Bible, there should have been a hyphen with ish. Everyone's got it. Why are we beating ourselves up over it? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 